I'm your host, Seth Day. I use he, they pronouns, and you're listening to Rad Child Podcast. Right. Thanks for joining us for another episode of Rad Child Podcast. Uh, this month, we are talking a little bit about religion, and specifically, we're talking about Judaism and Islam. And today, we're starting with talking a little bit about Judaism. Before we even get started, I kind of wanted to discuss a little bit about why we're uh, covering religion this month, because it's a little bit different than uh, the topics that we typically cover. And so basically, the goal of this episode is there sort of two, two goals. Our first goal is for folks, in- including me, grown-ups who may not practice Judaism, uh, to learn a little bit about it in order to answer kids' questions. So, right, we can't answer questions that we don't have the answers to. Um, it becomes tricky. So, uh, you know, for example, maybe you're, the kid in your life has a friend celebrating Hanukkah or has somebody in their life who wears a kippah or yarmulke. So maybe we then we'll be able to answer those, those questions uh, if they ask. Also, our sort of second goal is for folks who, you know, do identify as Jewish, do practice Judaism, to maybe help explain some elements of their religion and culture to kids who may not practice. So maybe you're a teacher in a secular setting who happens to be Jewish. And we talk about that a lot where that line is of, you know, maybe talking about things about ourselves can be a little tricky. We've talked about that with sexuality as well. Um, I think that comes up a lot in education specifically, Uh, but hopefully we can answer some of those questions. I think in general, just, you know, unfortunately, a lot of times hatred can kind of come from ignorance. And I think the more we learn about each other, the more we can kind of understand each other. So uh, that's why we're talking about these things this month. So without, <laughs> before I blather on forever, let's introduce our wonderful guests today. So we're going to do our name, our pronouns, where you're from, your relationship with kids, and your relationship with Judaism, whatever that means to you. So I'm Sam, uh, Sam Schindler. Uh, my pronouns are he and him. I'm from Westchester County outside New York City. Um, my relationship with kids is that I have two of them currently living in my house. And I'm also a teacher. So I have taught all different grades of kids everywhere from third grade on up to I now teach college. My relationship with Judaism, this is going to sound really silly, but it's complicated. I grew up, so I grew up in a, what I would call a conservative, uh, big C conservative household. That's sort of like the middle of the road for the in layman's terms, I suppose. If you're going to go sort of reform conservative, orthodox. Um, Other people have different definitions of these things. I went to a very large synagogue in Westchester County, which was a conservative synagogue, which means that there was a certain degree of observance observance that was expected, like keeping dietary laws and coming to synagogue on Saturdays Mm. and understanding a certain level of the the text, having a certain familiarity with with, uh, high levels of text. And I also went to an orthodox day school through eighth grade. So my Jewish education is, uh, I guess, extensive, but that doesn't make me any of those things. It's just sort of what my background is. Uh, mm. I would say that I've stepped I, away from Orthodox Judaism pretty quickly, almost immediately, ran rather than stepped. And the conservative Judaism part, I also have come away from, I would not call myself a Reformed Jew or a Reconstructionist Jew. There are lots of other different monikers that people use that some of your other people can maybe speak to. I would say that at best, uh, the way to describe me would be someone who is, I still I have a degree in Jewish history, a master's degree in Jewish history, and I teach religion and comparative religion, and I teach history. So I look at everything through the lens of history, and I try to make sense of now, like what's going on now by what I know of what was. And there's a lot that doesn't compute for me. There's a lot that's paradoxical if we look at Judaism in its biblical stages and its ancient stages and its medieval stages and its modern stages. There's a great deal of change, if there's any constant change, to use another cliche. So I, I suppose 
like I have an intellectual historical relationship with Judaism, uh, a kind of cultural relationship with Judaism. If I walked into any synagogue anywhere, I could feel like I knew what was going on. I read Hebrew, and yet my philosophical differences with each and every one of those denominations would be quite great. No, that makes a lot of sense. Thank you for sharing. Hi, I'm Aviva Brown. My pronouns are she, her. I am from Greensboro, North Carolina, and my relationship with kids is that I am a mother of four. I also write children's picture books about Jewish families of color. And my relationship with Judaism is that I converted about five years ago is when I started. I've been officially a member of the tribe for three years. We are a family of Reformed Jews. I converted with my older three children. Then I had my fourth child. And then my husband converted um, after she was born. So we went from absolutely no Jews in our family to our nuclear family being completely Jewish. And now we are the only Jews in our extended family. And our family is interracial. My husband is white. I am black. Our children are biracial. And it just has layers and layers of complexity about how we relate to both our race and ethnicity and our Judaism. That makes a lot of sense. My name is Jamie Beth Cohen. I use she, her pronouns. I am originally from Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania. I've lived in New York City, Los Angeles, the suburbs of DC, and now I live in Lancaster, Pennsylvania. I am the parent of two young children whom I share with your other guest, Sam Schindler, and I'm also a young adult author. So my relationship with kids is that I'm raising two Jewish kids in a conservative Christian area, and I write for teens and visit their classrooms and talk to them about young adult things and my relationship to Judaism. So I was raised what I would call occasionally a secular Jew or maybe a gastronomical Jew or (laughs) a cultural Jew, which is to say I could walk to both sets of grandparents' houses who were much more practicing Jews than my family was. So I was exposed to Judaism, but my family did not belong to a congregation. I ate a lot of brisket, a lot of potato pancakes, a lot of corned beef, a lot of bagels, a lot of chopped liver, but I did not have a bat mitzvah. I did not go to Hebrew school or Jewish camp. When I went to college, I became involved in Hillel and all of the social aspects of Judaism. I was the social chair my senior year. And then as an adult, I worked uh, in Jewish nonprofits, so I became a professional Jew. But (laughs) I have only ever belonged to a congregation for one year, and that did not agree with me. My name is Jazz Twersky. I use they, them pronouns. I'm currently living in Brooklyn, New York, though I grew up mostly on the West Coast. I currently teach children in a program that's after school and on the weekends uh, at a reform synagogue here in Brooklyn, currently all online. So I'm a third grade teacher. And my relationship with Judaism, I grew up in a Jewish home. We didn't describe ourselves as particularly 
particularly denominationally affiliated, but I always grew up knowing I always grew up knowing that I was Jewish like down to my bones, that my ancestry was Jewish, that we could trace my ancestry back through a line of rabbis who were associated with the Hasidic movement. But my family, I went to a pluralistic Jewish day school a couple times. I was in and out of different types of Jewish settings. So I was in Jewish day school and I was in public school and went to Hebrew school in the afternoons, depending on where we lived at the time. Um, I also spent a year living in Jerusalem when I was a teenager. And I did have a B'nai Mitzvah and we sometimes attended a reform synagogue that we were members of. My parents now attend a synagogue that is technically, I think, a conservative synagogue, but sort of the denominational boundaries are fuzzy. I work at a reform synagogue these days, though I wouldn't necessarily describe myself as a reform Jew. I'm not sure I believe in denominations very strongly, but socially I hang out with the Reconstructionists the most uh, and conservative Jews to some extent. And my relationship with Judaism, I also want to say, is like deep and profound and really important to me uh, and also not easily categorized. And I think that that's probably true for many of us, many Jews. It is so interesting to me to hear all of you say that um, you wouldn't necessarily describe yourself as a reformed Jew or a conservative Jew or all of these labels that we use, mostly because I had a reform conversion, um, but I describe myself as a reformed Jew, not just because I believe in the tenets of reform Judaism, but also because to me and for me, it is short shorthand for someone to know what flavor of Judaism I practice just by meeting me. Uh, They're going to know that they can probably pick up the phone and call me on a Saturday morning if I say that, um, but I don't have to go into specifics. Although, according to my friends, I'm a pretty hardcore (laughs) reformed Jew. We do (laughs) keep um, a kosher home and do some things that uh, would be considered more orthodox. But definitely, definitely reform. And I just find it so interesting to hear born Jews kind of um, not necessarily reject, but shy away from those labels. Yeah, I think it's interesting because I I was raised a Christian and I feel like we have, in a similar way, we have different denominations of Christianity. And, you know, there's, so if you say, you know, for a lot of my friends, you know, who grew up Catholic, that was a little stricter than, uh, you know, Catholic or Orthodox versus like, I grew up Protestant and specifically Presbyterian. And like, when you, you know, when I tell people that particular flavor of Christianity, they get, you know, ideas of sort of like, you know, this, this sort of the same, the same thing. So I think it's kind of an interesting to an interesting thought, because I also often will particularly describe myself as non denominational, which like, is almost a denomination of itself in Christianity. It's kind of funny, because like, when you say non denominational, people can very much get an idea of what what that looks like. We tend to have like, you know, rock and roll in our church it's like very down to earth and everyone's wearing jeans you know uh kind of thing but it's but it's interesting in that way where it's like uh you know almost like people can just automatically get an idea yeah i will also say that as a convert to judaism i grew up 
Baptist. I was raised in the Missionary Baptist mm. Church. I grew up in Iowa. And now that I live in the South, when people find out that I converted, they'll say, oh, you converted. What were you before? And then I say, I was raised Baptist. And they make this face. And I'm like, no, 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 no. Not the really strict, hardcore, long skirts kind of <laughs> yeah. Baptist. Not that there's anything wrong with that. But uh, being raised Baptist in Iowa is a little different than being raised Baptist in, say, Alabama. Yeah, for sure. Jamie, did you have something to add? I did. I think it's interesting that I think what non-denominational means to you is regional, because I will say that non-denominational Christianity in conservative Lancaster is actually super conservative. It doesn't mean you won't have music or jeans or rock and roll, but you will not have women in leadership. When you say non-denominational in Lancaster County, what you mean is not mainline Protestant. And that connotation here is is sort of um, a cult of personality. For frame of reference for listeners, I'm coming from the East Coast. Um, so in that kind of general area. So I've lived in New York, I've lived in Pennsylvania, and I've lived now I'm in Canada and Montreal. And so in that sort of bubble uh, is where I'm coming from with my experience. So obviously I don't speak for the whole country or the whole world. But yeah, that's really interesting to hear. And I'm specifically coming from Scranton, Pennsylvania. So... But anyway, Jazz, did you have something to say? I just had a small thing to add, which is that also as an adult, I've become involved in different queer groups that are happening in the Jewish world. And in particular, I got involved with a group called Svara, which does queer Talmud study. And so I know Mm. people who describe themselves as Svaranik, even though that's not a technical denomination that that's where some of us feel most comfortable as a group and as the people we want to affiliate with. And so it's not a traditional denomination, but it is helpful to conceptualize where we're coming from. Yeah, it makes a lot of sense. It's, it's so much easier than explaining all of your all of your beliefs to everyone you meet, right, a little bit. Sometimes we talk about this a lot in different contexts, but that sometimes labels can be helpful, you know, and sometimes they're just, you know, can either be harmful or just not not helpful. Um, but I think that's really, that's a really interesting conversation. Before we, I mean, we've already kind of dove in a little bit, but before we get in too deep, I'm curious, I ask this question every, uh, every episode, it's because we talk a lot about, you know, things that kids might ask that might catch us off guard, or that we're not prepared to answer. And so I'm curious if there's ever been a time where a child asked you a question that you weren't really prepared to answer. First, I just want to okay. say, Jazz, that um, you're at Congregation Bethel Hume in Brooklyn. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so I taught third grade there too. <laughs> <laughs> That's so funny. Small Jewish world. <laughs> it really is. Yes, in fact, my career in education began there, kind of by accident. And the uh, the religious education director there was like, I was looking for like tutoring jobs, and she said, you know, I have a third grade class that needs a teacher. I think you're right. And I said, you have no idea what you're talking about. Uh, but she was right, and so here we are, 18 years later. But anyway. That was great. I have fond memories of Beth Elohim. Yeah, let's be sure to mention Jewish geography at some point in this podcast, because I am just starting to really be able to play. And let me tell you, I feel like I've arrived. (laughs) Jazz, do you know that there is actually a game on Facebook every Saturday and Wednesday night called Jewish Geography Zoom Racing? That's wonderful. I have heard of that. Yeah. 
I am, uh, I'm there every Wednesday and Saturday night, so we can talk about that later. <laughs> You're, sorry about that. Your question was, has there ever been a question that um, I found difficult to answer? Uh, uh, no, uh, this has been an easy cruise for me as a parent and as an adult. Um, I've lived the last 10 or 11 years without having to answer one hard question once, and I sleep at night very, very well. So, so yeah, that's, that's the, uh, so the first thing that comes to mind actually is, um, and this will go from um, the, <laughs> it will go from levity to gravity pretty quickly, which I apologize for. But after the shootings in Pittsburgh, which I think now is almost two years ago, my son, who was then six, uh, we were in the car and he said to me something along the lines of like, should we convert to Christianity now since clearly people don't like Jews and want to kill us? Like, so, you know, that, number one, that's a, <laughs> it's a pretty, it's a big whopper of a question, but there were so many layers to that, that he didn't know that I was immediately experiencing because for my entire life, really, uh, you know, for my entire like intellectual life, I could say, I've been making the argument that Jews are no longer uh, a target of um, oppression on a large scale in the quote unquote, you know, Western world. I mean, I, I like, I don't, I'm not right about that because there's lots of anti-Semitism, but I don't, I, I would like to sort of offer a corrective or have offer a corrective to people like my parents, for example, who are convinced that there were Nazis hanging around every street corner and that, you know, Holocaust 2.0 is going to happen any day. I would say to them, no, that's, that's really not true. And you can't live in a world where you hate everybody who's Christian, assuming that they hate Jews, even though that was their experience growing up and their parents mm -hmm. taught them that. I was trying to be the corrective for that. And then my son asked me this question when I'm, you know, 43 and I'm like, damn it. I, you know, like he has a reason for asking that because he's six years old, but I've spent my entire life arguing the opposite. So now what do I do? Because his question, you know, sounds absurd, but his experience is people are killing Jews on purpose. And um, that's really scary for him. And I have to address that. So that touched off a very long conversation in which I began to go all the way back to the first century CE to give a very, a very typical teacherly explanation of the relationship between Christians and Jews going back to the life of Jesus and the death of Jesus, <laughs> uh, which to his credit, he actually stayed awake for. And at some point, like 10 minutes in, I was like, are you guys still listening to this? And they're like, yeah, this is fascinating. We love it. Which I don't know if they're doing that just to you know boost my ego or if they really meant it, but um, I once you get started once I get started talking about history, especially the history of religion, I can't stop, and they know that about me. So I went on for a while about this, trying to explain that indeed Christianity is just really just a version of Judaism in its earliest um, in its earliest iteration, and that over the course of time these things have evolved and changed, and that power and money and all those kinds of things have had a lot to do with the rift between Christianity and Judaism and how anti-Judaism is different from anti-Semitism and medieval hatred of Jews is different from modern hatred of Jews and blah, 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 and all that. I think I lost them as I've probably lost you along the, somewhere along those lines. But I guess the bottom line is like that question threw me for a loop because I have been working so hard to try and either convince myself or others that really there are lots of other groups of people in this country specifically who are way, way worse off and have been way worse off for centuries than us. Uh, and so us going into hiding and pretending to be um, Christians seemed ridiculous to me, uh, but I had to face it from, from him um, in, a, in a very real and sort of unexpectedly real way. Yeah, I, I think that sometimes too, like kids, you know, they just sort of draw conclusions from things around them. I, 
uh, and especially around violence and things like that. I remember after I was in the fifth grade when uh, 9-11 happened and I, I remember thinking, well, I asked my mom, I was like, is it safe for me to go to school? And my mom was like, terrorists don't care about your little Christian school, right? They're not, that's not what's happening. But to me, I was like, someone went outside, they went to work, they had a regular day and then something terrible happened. So like that could happen. You know what I mean? And like we, they, you know, kids often make, draw these conclusions just from the things that they're seeing. And to us as adults, it seems like, well, not absurd, but you know what I mean? We have to sort of uh, get to their level a little bit about these things. So those can definitely, especially around violence and things like that, I think those can be really tricky uh, questions to answer. There have been a few times that my kids have asked me questions that I wasn't prepared to answer. And it threw me for a loop because I am an overthinker to the extreme. (laughs) So I had toddlers and I'm like, this is what I'm going to say when they ask me where babies come from. This is what I'm going to (laughs) say when they ask me why some people get cancer and other people don't. And then one day my son comes in and he says, granddaddy died and now he's in heaven with Jesus, right? And I had no answer for that because that's not (laughs) my belief system. And so rather than immediately answer, I stalled for time. And I said, well, why do you think that? Uh, You know, and he said, well, that's what grandma said happened. Mm. And as I mentioned, you know, we're the only Jews in our family Um, My extended family is all very much Christian, even if they're not particularly like the go to church every Sunday type. Mm -hmm. And so I explained to him after I kind of got my feet under me that different people believe different things. I don't personally believe that granddaddy is in heaven with Jesus, but I think that it's okay and he's okay. So that was kind of hard. And I wish that he just asked me about where babies came from. Because <laughs> I, I was really prepared on that one. Isn't it always that way though? Like the things that we're super prepared for and then they ask some other question and you're like, come on. <laughs> right? Like I put a lot of thought into that baby's answer. Come on, man. Yesterday it was literally, what does sex trafficking mean? <laughs> I have an 11 year old and an eight year old, and it was, what does sex trafficking mean? Wow. Uh, yeah. So, gotta love, you know, headlines. I was like, why are you asking? Oh, I saw a headline. Oh, great. Um, so, but my favorite, and I always go back to this story because I think it says so many things with one story, is I was driving my daughter, who was at the time in first grade, to school. And she told me that a girl in her class was bragging that she was rich. And I said, well, we've talked about this. Talking about money at school can hurt people's feelings. Do you understand why? And she said, I think so. I think it's because the people who have so much money will be embarrassed that they have so much while other people don't have enough. Is that that why? I love that. (laughs) If only... And I was desperate to say yes, but the actual answer is no, but maybe. <laughs> so we, um, I'm a devotee of a socialist folk musician, and it just sort of made me feel like she was learning a lot from the, the songs I play. So <laughs> I love that so much. I think for me, the questions that come to mind are mostly ones 
that I felt like I could answer, but I didn't know if I was going to get in trouble for answering them. And also it might take up me a lot of time to answer them. And I didn't know if it was okay to like derail my lesson plan to answer their question. It's always okay to derail your lesson plan. They want you, that's what they want you to do that. And you want to also. Yes. Um, (laughs) But like in particular, the things that come to mind is sometimes students ask me questions about gender and I don't quite know how their families are going to react because I've gotten mixed responses. And sometimes I say to a kid when we're talking about our weekends at the beginning that I was there packaging books to send to incarcerated people and they asked me a question about prison and I I'm like, well, I actually don't think anybody should be in prison. And then they ask why. And I do have an answer to that one. But also their Hebrew class is about to start. And I don't know that we have time. Like, so, so sometimes trying to figure out what is a extraordinarily fast way to both encapsulate my values that I don't know if all of their families will agree with is the challenging part. Yeah, I think that's particularly tricky, like from an educator perspective, like I know, um, we had a guest a while ago, who was talking about they uh, were teaching Hebrew school, and uh, one of their kids asked what a dildo was. And they were like, I can tell you, I know what my answer to that question is, but I don't know if your parents want you to come home from Hebrew school with the answer to that question, right? Yeah. Um, that is so. definitely an ask your uh, parent <laughs> in the up, car yeah. as soon as you get in. How about that? <laughs> oh my gosh. But but yeah, so I think, and I'm also a former teacher, I'm a former art educator. And so I definitely think that it, that, that line is super tricky. Uh, Jamie, did you have something to add? Yeah, when uh, right before same-sex marriage was made legal in the United States, but it had been in all of the, mm-hmm. you know, news and it, people were talking about it. My daughter came home from kindergarten and told me that her teachers didn't know that a woman could marry a woman and a man could <laughs> marry a man. And I knew her teachers. I worked in her school and I went into school the next day and I was like, hey, what's going on with this? And the teacher said, no, the question was asked, can a woman marry a woman? And my response was, you should ask your parents. It wasn't that I didn't know the answer. <laughs> My response was, you should ask her. And she said, I cannot wait until it's legal in the United States so that I can answer that question honestly and not worry about what the parents will say. Yeah, that's so funny. I love how kids interpret those kinds of things. (laughs) I just want to say that as a parent, my favorite thing to do is when my kid asks me some crazy question is say, I don't know. Maybe you should ask your teacher. The the educators on this panel are so, so thankful to you. (laughs) I'm sure. I was going to say, I can tell you I'm probably my kid's teacher's favorite parent. (laughs) (laughs) I love that so much. That's, I think that's part of the reason that I, I mean, there are a lot of reasons that I went to nannying specifically instead of working as an educator at a school. But uh, I think one of the reasons is because at least when I know a family's like I'm working with one family, I know their values and I would only work with a family who had similar values to me, you know, most likely. Right. Like I out myself at every interview. I'm like, I'm trans. If you're going to not like trans people do it before you hire me. (laughs) But at any rate, like, I love that. I can just like one, one time I was with a, a little boy, he still needed help going to the bathroom. And so I was in the bathroom with him and he, you know, he was very, as many four-year-olds are, he was very into his penis. And he asked me if I had a penis. And I was like, nope. And we just had a conversation about it. And it was fine. And like, I knew that was going to be fine. You know what I mean? And I think I had a lot of trouble as an educator, like as someone who was like 
you know, a trans activist. And, you know, I had a lot of trouble, like not being able to just talk, you know, have those kinds of frank conversations with kids um, when they ask questions, having to be like, oh, I can't talk to you about that. But it's Mm -hmm. definitely a tricky thing. So sort of keeping in mind, like kid friendly explanations to these things, what are what are some of the like main for someone who knows nothing? uh, What are some of the main sort of tenets or principles of Judaism? I'm going to give an answer that I'm going to be dissatisfied with when other people start talking. I know. So I'm just going to put that out there to begin with. I don't know that there's a simple answer to that question. I mean, mm-hmm. Aviva sort of already has spoken to this and I think she's right. But what I do sometimes with students when, I, when I'm talking about this is I ask, like, what is the central tenet of, like, if you were going to associate yourself with a group um, and it could be, you know, you're a this or you're a that or you're, you're a Christian, what does it mean to be a Christian? Is there one thing that every single Christian would agree with? More often than not, the answer is, well, you know, to some degree, we believe that Jesus was the son of God, died and was resurrected um, and will return. And so there's 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 at least that kind of thing to sort of put your hat on. I have the only thing that I have really been able to and I've done this experiment with Jews and non-Jews and, you know, my wife who can't stand it when I do this. (laughs) When I ask this question, like the only thing that I've come close to having kind of like uh, a similar answer to is the Torah. And the reason I say Torah is because the Torah is not just the Bible. Um, It's a lot of things. And when Jews talk Mm -hmm. about, when Jews talk about Torah, they talk about learning Torah and they talk about it as like, it could be anything. It could be the Bible. It could be commentary on the Bible. It could be a rabbis who spoke about it in the 18th century. It could be a book that somebody wrote. That's like a novel that talks. I mean, it, it can be so many different things. And um, really what it comes down to is, I guess, the best way for me to answer this question, and it's, it's not going to help you at all, and I apologize, <laughs> and your listeners will be like, this guy's useless. I have a, a, a kid that I tutor in Iowa, and I'm tutoring him in um, for his bar mitzvah, I guess. And I, one of the first times I talked to him online, obviously, this is even before <clears> the <throat> pandemic, we were working online, I asked him, like, you know, what is Judaism to you. And so he gave me some pat answers that he, he thought that I wanted to hear or that because, you know, he's only 11. So he was not sophisticated enough to really answer that question in a sophisticated way. But the more we talked and the more we started, like I started digging at what he believed and whether he believed in God, the answer was yes. And what he wanted a bar mitzvah to be. And he gave me some sense of what he thought he would like to be. I, I said to him at the end, I said, okay, so um, do you, do you like, you know, studying Judaism? Do you like learning Torah? And he goes, well, I guess I don't. I don't really know what that is. And I said to him, the, "What we just did for the last forty-five minutes is learning Torah. Is that like you and I were talking about with a, a backdrop of Judaism and talking about you and your feelings and your philosophies and your thoughts and your responses to things. And that's a lot of what Judaism is. It's taking a thing and like the joke that we made a few minutes ago and saying like, here's this question. If you read it like a page of Talmud, here's this question. We're going to tell lots of stories. We're going to disagree <laughs> with each other. We're going to talk about something completely unrelated." You know, we're going to talk about like, uh, you know, the the pond that we once sat at and thought about trees. We're not going to answer the question. We might get back to it eventually. Where we'll say, you know, we don't really know what the answer is, but we learned all these wonderful things along the way. So, I mean, <laughs> that's the, that's what comes to mind. And I'll, I'm, I will regret that answer as soon as other people talk more intelligently and, and give their answers. But that's my like my initial response. I just want to pop in and say that the whole uh, Judaism is Torah thing, but Torah is not just 
the Torah, like the capital T Torah, mm-hmm. is very, very difficult to grasp yeah. <laughs> um, as yeah, an adult when you're yeah. converting because I'm like, okay, we're learning Torah. Well, no, we're learning Torah. It's just not Torah. And that <laughs> makes absolutely no sense to anyone, including me even now. But I do know that Torah is, you know, as you said, anything that you're talking about um, through a Jewish lens uh, on a Jewish backdrop. Um, and it's about learning. I would say that my simple kid-friendly answer to what is the main tenant of or principle of Judaism is comes from Rabbi Hillel. Do not do to others what is hateful to you. All the rest is commentary. You know, be nice to people. I know that you're going to disagree with me, Sam, but come on, let me finish talking. <laughs> no, 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 no. I, 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 I was, my oomph was like to say, yes, I agree. Yeah. I mean, you know, we try to treat people the way we want to be treated and be kind to them, love the stranger as ourselves. I mean, you can get into so many different things that that actually means um, because Judaism and Torah is so big and so broad and so much. But if you want to just distill it down, I think Hillel was right. You know, do not do to others what is hateful to yourself and go forth. Yeah, I love that. And I think it's, you know, it's funny because as a, um, as someone who was raised Christian, I'm like, yeah, that's pretty much the same. <laughs> just, you know, in a, in a way of, I think the idea of just, you know, being, being nice to people, I can get behind that. <laughs> Did you have something to add, Jazz? I just felt like it was reasonable to note, given the circumstances, that the last part of Hillel's statement there, when he was trying to summarize it up, was do not do unto others as you would have them not have them do unto you. Uh, all the rest is commentary and ends go with and, now go, go and, and study. Yeah, go and learn. Um, yeah. <laughs> uh, and that that is also an important part to me of the summing up. Yes, I did leave that part off, but I do always, always, always mention that part when I'm saying it to my kids. <laughs> <laughs> I think in theory I'm next, and I said I wasn't going to comment on these on these <laughs> questions, but I, but I lied. Um, so, <laughs> so what I would say to give some context is I work at a progressive Christian seminary. Mm. That's my day job. And so I, despite my complete lack of training in Judaism and academic and historical understanding, I get asked a lot of questions about Judaism. And it's actually, unfortunately for me and for my students who I adore, I know what Judaism isn't. And that often surprises them, especially when I say you don't have to believe in God to be a Jew. Mm. It blows their mind. So I want to talk about that a little bit, because I think for parents who are talking to their kids about Judaism, uh, that is one that can rattle some people. And the other thing I would say is that we don't believe Jesus Christ was the Lord and Savior and Son of God, which is not to say we don't believe that Jesus existed. (laughs) And that's another thing that blows my students' mind in that I can have a conception of Jesus that is different from theirs, but that doesn't negate theirs. Mm. 
you were talking about how you can be Jewish and not believe in God, that opens up the (laughs) door to, okay, well then what do you have to do, believe, or be to be Jewish? And we could be here all day talking about who's (laughs) a Jew. (laughs) That uh, might be a question for the ages. I mean, I guess not really, because a Jew Halakhically, which would be Jewish law, is someone whose mother was a Jew. But so many people in the Jewish community reject that. For example, my mother was not a Jew. I had a conversion to Judaism, um, but it wouldn't be recognized by some other Jews further Mm. along the spectrum. And it gets really complicated, like everything else about Judaism. So what is Judaism? Who are the Jews? Um, what other questions can we throw out here and then not answer for the nice <laughs> listeners of this podcast? <laughs> it's so funny. This is just making me think of, I, I listened to um, a very wonderful podcast called Harry Potter and the Sacred Text. And they, it's a totally different direction. They take Harry Potter and they read it as if it were a sacred text and they do different spiritual practice, practices with it. And um, one of the spiritual practices that they do is the traditional Jewish practice of Havruta, which is, um, I mean, someone might be able to explain it better than me uh but i mean from my understanding it's sort of a back and forth about the tour where you sort of ask answer a question with a question and i feel like that's a lot of what we're doing right now (laughs) it's so funny that you say that seth because i I study in every day and when i started harry potter in the sacred text i couldn't stand it so i run a podcast where i talk about a part of the torah every week Mm. And I felt like that Harry Potter and the Sacred Texts was approaching this like fictional work written by a person who we know and like who is alive and Mm -hmm. exists now with more like degree of accepting it almost uncritically in a way that I don't do with my actual sacred text even. So it felt Mm. like an extraordinarily odd way for me to approach a piece of writing. Now, see, Seth, you've gotten into your first disagreement over (laughs) how to study, so you really might actually be Jewish. (laughs) Is this this what it is? This is all it takes. (laughs) That's really all it takes. Um, Then I've been Jewish for a long time. (laughs) Right? Aren't we all? Let's just um, ask each other questions, disagree about the answers, bam, all Jews. I I do think that... Uh, people have been disagreeing about what makes somebody Jewish for a really long time. And I don't know that we could give any definitive answer. I would say that there is a principle of no more than one God, though I don't think that there is a necessity for a person to believe in that one God. I know plenty of atheist Jews. I, I also know that like, For example, almost a thousand years ago, there was a scholar who we call the Rambam or Maimonides who came up with what he called the 13 principles of faith that all Jews abide by. And also, I learned about them first from a Jewish woman who didn't believe in any of them. So (laughs) there's not not a good uh, (laughs) summation of what all Jews believe. I don't think there is a lot of things that all Jews. I don't think there is anything that all Jews agree on. There might be one thing, 
According to my rabbi, a study mm. has been done that Who did said, your rabbi study with? <laughs> you know what? I don't know. And that means that I failed Jewish geography tonight. But um, uh, there was a study done that said most Jews of any denomination, secular Jews, etc., draw their line in the sand at believing that Jesus was the Messiah who died, was resurrected, and that our salvation comes through him. Yes, I'll co-sign. Sure. <laughs> I love. <laughs> I was about to say I love Jesus. I do um, because <laughs> I really do. I love Jesus so much, and I love saying that and like making people go, "What?" Especially like students of mine when we're studying Christianity, and they know I'm Jewish, and I'll say, "God, I love Jesus," because the message in the New Testament, at least, is such a great, wonderful message, and his. Um, his perspective on things is so radical and his take is so politically active and he's, uh, you know, for all the things I'm for and against all the things I'm against. And so I really agree with him on many things. He doesn't really have a say in the story, at least in how he dies. Mm -hmm. And he doesn't really have a say in how he's resurrected either. So from a perspective of what Jesus taught, now he didn't write anything down, of course, these are generations later that people are writing about him. But from what he taught and what he preached, at least in what was recorded, I'm fully on board right? Everything that was corporeal, everything that was like, that he did in a, in a, in a way that in a, when he was alive, at least as the gospels tell it, is something that I'm on board with completely and totally. When he, when he you know, chides the, the, the professors of the law and the richer Jews for using Judaism to, to, to empower themselves further and to take advantage of poorer people, yeah, that's what they were doing. Absolutely. I mean, his message is political and it's one that reverberates especially today. So, I, what Aviva said just sort of like ticked this off in my head. It's like I, I'm, I'm total like I'm, <laughs> I'm Christian or I'm, I'm a Jesus follower in, in all the ways that 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 he taught Judaism because that's what he was teaching. Uh, mm-hmm. When when he dies and when he's resurrected and then or you know as the story goes and then everything that is interpreted by what he said by Paul and later, uh, you know later apostles and later teachers and later um, Christian fathers down the line into the Middle Ages, you know that is what everybody else thinks of Jesus's message, his message and message alone, at least as is recorded by the people supposedly around him or a few generations later is something that I totally agree with. So that, that's an interesting little thing there. I think that is interesting, Sam. Um, I actually had the experience before my conversion when I was still kind of floating adrift um, and trying to figure out what I believed. I was having um, an online discussion with someone and they were talking about Christianity. And I was like, well, can I say that I'm a Christian like a Buddhist is a Buddhist? Like, I don't believe that (laughs) Jesus was a divine entity, but I agree with a lot of what he taught. And someone was like, no, you're going to hell. And I was like, (laughs) alrighty then. Um, And fun story, that is when uh, my friend Amy, during that conversation said, you know something, Aviva, you might want to look into Judaism. And here we are so many years later, and (laughs) I'm a super duper happy Jew. Fascinating. (laughs) Fascinating. And I will, I, I, I will say, um, separately that like sometimes people do phrase a thing to me that implies that Judaism is just the same thing as Christianity without the Jesus and I, I don't think that's true either 
um, that I think they're also pretty different and that they were the same thing 2000 years ago, but 2000 years is a long time and a lot has changed (laughs) since then. A lot has definitely changed. I would hope so. Hey folks, thanks for tuning in to another episode of Rad Child Podcast. Um, just the regular announcements today. As always, you can follow us at Rad Child Podcast on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter. Uh, if you would like to contact us, you can reach out either by emailing radchildpodcast at gmail.com or you can go to www.radchildpodcast.com under the contact section and fill out the form there. Uh, also under the contact section, you can find out info about being a guest if you would like to do that. We have lots of exciting upcoming topics. So if you're interested in that you can check out the contact us section of the website under be a guest also on the website if you click on store you can see all of our awesome merch that we have we have some buttons stickers postcards and lots of great fun stuff um, so definitely check that out you can also do that by going to etsy.com and searching Radchild podcast and last but not least if you would like to support us by making a monthly donation of any amount starting at one dollar you can do so by going to patreon.com forward slash radchild podcast you can join the ranks of the wonderful emma kai alex and sarah uh, by giving us a donation again of any amount it could be one dollar a month it really really helps us to just cover our costs and you can also get some awesome rewards like bloopers care packages personalized children's book recommendations all sorts of really cool things so definitely check that out uh i guess that's it from me i will hand it over to crystal and rebecca Do you wish more picture books truly reflected your family's values? Have you ever thought you found the perfect book, but when you got it home, it completely missed the mark? Shift Book Box is a picture book subscription service for kids ages 3 to 8, built around themes of social justice and centering diverse characters and creators. Each box features two beautiful picture books as well as expertly crafted discussion guides. We know that families want to engage kids in conversations about social justice topics, and we recognize how challenging it can be to find the right books and to feel supported in having these conversations. We find the books, we provide the prompts, you get both delivered to your door. Subscribe today at shiftbookbox.com and use the code RADCHILD, RADCHILD. all one word, RADCHILD, RADCHILD. for 10% off your first order. Shift Bookbox, curating little libraries, cultivating big change. Moving on a little bit, I'm curious what some of the, you know, and this might be, again, as everything seems to be up, up for debate, but what some of the most important holidays are of Judaism, or it could just be your favorite one. I'm just curious to learn a little bit. The one of the most important holidays of Judaism that I hate the most um, <laughs> is Passover. I hate Passover with a passion. Um, and um, it's, it, this is large, this is to do with my mother, as you might have imagined. Uh, but like the way that my mother and my grandmother made Passover turned it into this, you know, incredibly angst filled, pressurized, uh, like, if, like gala event where if any one thing went wrong within the Seder, within what people wore, within what people said to each other at the Seder, uh, then the whole thing was ruined and it was all of our faults. So there's there's that component, which is obviously, uh, you know, like a, a psycho- psychological trauma, which I'm still not over. But I, I, I also, you know, the holiday is so filled with um, such important key 
foundational ritual because it includes the creation story of the Jews, the all-too-important exodus um, from Egypt, and the arrival in the quote-unquote holy land along the way. Oh, by the way, you get the Torah, kind of a big deal. Um, and, and the holidays is very, it's eight days long. The longest holidays we have are eight days long. This was an eight-dayer. Um, and so, it you know, it just drags. And the other thing is like, you know, it does. It drags. The other thing is like, you know, if, if you were me and you were 13 and you were eating, you know, Passover food for eight days, uh, that, that gets old pretty quickly. You can only eat so much matzo braai and not have the, the shits. I apologize for my language. I don't know if it's appropriate language for this podcast. Totally fine. It's for the adults, not for the kids. Oh, so, right. Of course. Okay. So yeah, Passover matzah equals diarrhea. I mean, it's, it's a, just a direct pathway, highway to diarrhea. So, you know, like Passover, hugely important one that I hate more than any other. Um, I have come to really, I've always kind of liked Yom Kippur because of the solemnness of the day. This is the day of atonement. It's a day when you're supposed to reckon with all of the, um, the things that you are and are not. You are supposed to beg God to renew your life for another year. You're also supposed to um, ask people that you've wronged for forgiveness, and it's a 25-hour fast, so you're really into it. You know, you're supposed to say in synagogue the whole, that's like the hardcore day where you're in it for, to win it the whole time. And then, of course, you get to like stuff your face with bagels and locks when it's over. I, there was one time when I was um, 19, when I was, uh, I was in Israel for the year, uh, taking a gap year between high school and college, and I had not ever felt really too into the whole Yom Kippur thing. It just seemed like a you know, like it was like one of those heavy, heavy days. Everybody was always like moping around and hungry, you know, and sallow faced. And, and I, I was the first Yom Kippur I'd ever had where I was on my own. And I went to a synagogue of my own choosing. And um, I have a complicated relationship with Israel. Perhaps <laughs> we talk about this. We don't have to. But I told a can of worms. But uh, at the time, it was less complicated. I was only 19. And I remember the experience of that day being what I always thought it could be, which was this incredibly... Um, moving, intense, meaningful, uh, reflective, just sort of meeting with your conscience uh, and, and, and kind of like leveling with yourself. This is before I had, uh, I was introduced to Buddhism, really. This was before I was introduced to therapy. So it was the first time that I ever like spent, spent time in my own head from a metacognitive perspective where I wasn't, you know, thinking about like girls or, or, or basketball, which is, you know, those are the two things I thought about when I was 17, 18. This was like, what is your life about? You know, what's going on? What have you done? And um, there's an element of that. I don't celebrate Yom Kippur in the same kind of um, in the same kind of way now. Uh, my synagogue going is uh, really um, sporadic at best, and I've dumped the fasting. But there's still an aspect of the day which I'm reminded of when it comes around, which is like this marking point. Like, where are you? Uh, how is it? How is it going? How are you uh, progressing? How are you growing? Uh, and changing as a human being. I love that. It's so funny talking about Passover just made me think about when I was working a, a nanny for a family uh, who is Jewish who had uh, two twins. And um, I I just remember during Passover, I, I cooked for them and I was trying so hard to be creative with matzah. I made like matzah lasagna, matzah bread pudding. It was like matzah. Ever. I was just, I think the, I still have the Pinterest board of all the matzah recipes. Oh my God. The lie, the lie of matzah. Like, you know, this year you're going to get to make cupcakes. This year you can make, fly, you know, souffle with matzah. And it's all just garbage. It's just like Metamucil, like cement in your mouth. Like there's just, there's no way around it. I like matzah. 
<laughs> I'm just gonna put that out there. I like Good it. For and you. I Good. eat it. I eat it not at Passover, so take that. <laughs> <laughs> oh, Most important holidays. Number one holiday, Shabbat, comes every week. Thank Hashem. Yeah. yeah. I am not what you would call Shomer Shabbos. So we don't keep Shabbat in the strictest sense of, um, you know, not driving or using electronics and things like that. But we do try to take the day and make it special compared to other days by resting and actually resting. Um, I try not to schedule things on Saturday mornings at the very least, except maybe going to synagogue sometimes sporadically. But yeah, so Shabbat, most important one. It comes every week. It's in that uh, Big Ten Commandments. But my favorite Jewish holiday is Sukkot. And that is a festival that comes around in the fall, uh, Harvest Festival. It's during the high holidays, follows Rosh Hashanah and Yom Kippur. I love it because it is also called the Festival of Booths, B as in boy, O-O-T as in Tom, H, S as in Susan, and that lets you know what you're going to be doing um, if you observe the holiday. You um, build a sukkah, which is like a booth or a hut, in your yard or on your property, um, and there are tons of prescribed ways that you have to have X number of walls and it has to be so big and all that kind of stuff. But for real, for real, it lets me decorate a structure for an entire <laughs> eight days every year with a completely different theme, yes. <laughs> which is right up my alley. And so that's why it's my favorite. And then the idea is to remember what it was like for the Israelites when they were wandering through the desert for 40 years on their way to the promised land. That would be the type of structure that they lived in. And then you invite people into your sukkah and into your home and spend time with them, share meals with them. You're supposed to eat out there and spend as much time out there as possible. So um, after the high holidays where you're spending a lot of time indoors, now you're getting outside and being connected to that part of creation. And again, the decorating. I, I like to wrap it in fancy words, but I like to decorate things. I'm not going to talk about a favorite or most important holiday, but what I, I do want to talk about, and again, this I think comes from raising Jewish kids in a conservative Christian area of the country, is that I have a frustration uh, related to the calendar, which is to say Hanukkah can line up with Thanksgiving. Hanukkah can line up with Christmas. <laughs> Passover can line up with snow. Passover can line, you know, line up with heat. And so I think for people who, um, who, who practice Christianity or who even sort of what people call non-practicing Christians, but they still celebrate Christmas, mm-hmm. um, the calendar is in your favor. And I, it's hard for me to get into the rhythm of the holidays because school doesn't stop for Yom Kippur or Rosh Hashanah. Mm. School doesn't stop for Hanukkah. You might have finals during Hanukkah. You might have standardized tests during Rosh Hashanah. And um, I, I think that people who practice 
the majority religion, say, in America or in Canada, and who have the benefit of having the calendar line up, even though Easter moves, the calendar and the sales and the days off of school tend to follow Easter. And so I don't think people understand the frustration. Um, I'm often called um, glass half full or you know, intense or negative, I call myself pragmatic or a realist, but I really do bring a frustration of we don't have the benefit in this country of the calendar following our holidays. So it is sometimes harder to have family traditions or even to be with family if you don't live in the same place um, for our holidays. So I feel like we're, um, my family at least is always reinventing the holiday celebration a little bit. Uh, You know, Hanukkah, Hanukkah is not a major holiday in in religious Judaism, but oftentimes people like to celebrate the first night. Well, if the first night is a Wednesday before a test on Thursday morning, no, that's not when the whole house is going to smell like potato pancakes, right? We're going to find a a weekend and have our Hanukkah celebration on the weekend, not not because it's convenient for us, actually, but because it's convenient for everyone else. Honestly, Jamie, I'm sorry. I just want to break in and say that's one of my favorite things about Jewish holidays is that they last (laughs) for eight days. So I don't feel like I have to rush to cram everything in uh, like on first night. Like I might not have everything ready to go for latkes. It may have been a really crappy Wednesday. So we're going to light these candles and maybe we'll get around to potato pancakes this weekend. And I feel your frustration with the calendar, but I also really dig the flexibility that we can get uh, by having longer holidays. I was just going to say, not all of our holidays are longer, like Yom Kippur and uh, Yom Kippur is one of our like classically biggest holidays. It's a very Mm -hmm. important holiday to me. And it's, you know, one day. And if I'm not working for a Jewish organization, I have to get that day off. Like, it's if I when I was in school, I had to take that day off class. And those are things that like those days are important to me. And, and they only happen once a year sometimes. So yeah, I mean, back to school night is often Rosh Hashanah night one, Rosh Hashanah night two, or Yom Kippur. It just, no one thinks about it. Mm. And that, I talk a lot about about what it's like to raise Jewish kids here. And I need to sort of get over myself because we chose to live here. I, I don't know that I knew the choice that I was making when I made it. But the idea that I that I have to bring what Jews would call surus or stress to celebrating my own holiday because it isn't convenient for the school calendar is something I carry with me. Yeah, I, I think someone, I, I just wanted to add that somebody, we had uh, a Muslim woman on a while ago, this is many episodes ago, and uh, she was talking about in her, her answer to, um, you know, a question she wasn't prepared for was she she was doing a, uh, she was in, you know, a secular, secular classroom. And um, uh, one of the kids, I guess, happened to know that it was, she wears a hijab, so they assumed that she was Muslim. And uh, they happened to know that it was a Muslim holiday. And they were like, oh, isn't it, you know, one of your holidays today? And she was like, yes. And they were like, well, why are you why are you working? And she's trying to explain, you know, that she doesn't get off for her holidays. And, she, and so the kid was like, why don't you just convert to Christianity? Like so that you could get your holidays off. And that was her question where she was just like, I didn't know what to say. But I think it, you know, obviously 
it's just very frustrating. And I think, you know, even when I will 100% admit that even when we were scheduling this, we were talking about September and y'all were like, oh, there, you know, there are some holidays and things in September that we might, you know, that might make it difficult to schedule. And, you know, I, it's, it's like my, you know, our little, like when I have my calendar app that I use, it automatically tells me all the Christian holidays, doesn't include any other ones. Uh, so I can definitely uh, sympathize with that frustration. Well, I actually had a coworker when we were all trying to decide, it was sort of, I'm not sure why they hadn't decided this before, but like who needed to work when with regard to the Jewish holidays. And if I took the day off, was that a vacation day or a personal day? And she said, well, I don't understand. Why don't you just work Christmas day? And I was like, well, that's actually an, a, a federal holiday and, and the building is closed because that's <laughs> your holiday. <laughs> like, yeah, I could come in, but no one else would be here. So it, it's very, I think it's something that people in majority positions often don't think yeah. what, what extra work, you know, we talk a lot in marriages about emotional labor. Mm-hmm. There's emotional labor with associated with being not in the majority custom or religion or race and this is part of it yeah absolutely moving on to our our last sort of about judaism question before we shift to talking about kids a little bit more but uh, i'm curious like what some of the sort of important cultural aspects of judaism are like specifically in the united states since that's where y'all are from give me anything that's important to you am am i allowed to defer my can i can i let someone else go first yeah totally aviva are you comfortable going first i don't really have anything to say because my my cultural Judaism, I think, is different than everyone else's because I wasn't I wasn't raised Jewish. We're creating our own Jewish traditions and our family is multiracial. So our traditions look a little bit different. Wait, Aviva, before I I want maybe I want to give some context that maybe you want might want to share after. But Seth, you had asked if any of these questions were offensive or you, I don't forget how you phrased it, but I think I, I struggled with answering this question and, and probably intended to defer as well, because for me, my Judaism is my culture, even though it is a religion. And I understand that Mm -hmm. I can't separate it out because I don't have a religious practice. I only have a cultural practice, Mm -hmm. but I know that that's not true for all Jews. So I'm not sure there is a cultural aspect of Judaism in the United States, I think there are cultural aspects of each family's Judaism. Mm -hmm. Aviva, does that help with where you were going? I think so, because, you know, you can say, well, what is Jewish culture? And people will tell you bagels and locks and black and white cookies, gefilte fish. Wait, are black and white cookies a Jewish thing? Yeah. Yeah. I grew up in New York City, so I just know this is like a New York City thing. <laughs> right. Oh, I know. And there it's you go. Like, like everything I just named, of course, is food, which is a whole other conversation. Yeah. <laughs> and it's all Ashkenazi food. Exactly. Yeah. Correct. Right. Um, but, you know, for me, those things aren't a part of my Jewish culture other than I've tried them all because after I converted, I felt like I needed to and discarded, <laughs> discarded most of them. I don't like gefilte fish, okay? Uh, I'm not feeling the horseradish. Do you know what we make for our Passover Seder? I make a sweet potato pie with a nut crust so that it doesn't have leavened bread. Because when I was growing up as this little black girl in Iowa, every 
major holiday for my family, we had sweet potato pie. Passover is a major holiday. We have sweet potato pie. I don't know that that's necessarily um, cultural for any other Jewish family that I know, but for my family, that's part of our Jewish culture. It's part of our the rhythm of our Jewish life. Um, and again, it's food. I'm sure I could think really hard and come up with something non-food related, but I'd have to think really, really hard. <laughs> Well, and that's, I, I have a similar thing in that my family doesn't have alcohol, not having nothing to do with Judaism, although sometimes it's hard to have Jewish ritual without alcohol, but Martinelli's sparkling cider says holiday to me, right? <laughs> so potato pancakes, they're heavy, they're greasy. Some people would have beer with that. We had Martinelli's sparkling cider. And so it's just, it's no one, I, you're not going to find another Jew in a, you know, hundred mile radius that says, oh, my Jewish culture, it's all about Martinelli's sparkling apple cider. But like to me well, and my family, if there's a holiday, that's what's going to be there. Well, I also hang out, again, as I said, with the Reconstructionists who are very into Judaism as a civilization. And so uh, Kaplan, who's the founder of Reconstructionism, uh, you know, has talked about talked about like Judaism has all the markers of a civilization because we have specifically Jewish languages and holidays and uh, food and religion and connection to places and like there's a lot of different aspect of it because it's very holistic and I think that Judaism is very holistic um and one of the rabbis at the synagogue where I work was just talking to my team the other day about how often he's working with people who consider themselves like culturally Jewish not necessarily religiously Jewish mm -hmm. and he argues that they're the same thing. Like you can't have cultural Judaism without some connection to religion. Like gefilte fish is a food, but also it's a food that we often eat around Passover, right? So, mm -hmm. and and you can't have religion without culture because so many of the things we have are like really culturally determined. Um, and so, and also I want to say that there's lots of things that I feel like make up Jewish culture that are sometimes really determined by the Jewish community you grew up in and a lot of the things mm. that I think of as part of like my Jewish community um, are really specific to Ashkenazi Judaism. Um, that is Judaism from Eastern Europe. That's I think the biggest group in the, in the U S of, of Jewish uh, people, but it's definitely not the only one. Um, and sometimes, you know, as an adult, I've learned that certain things are, only Ashkenazi things that I thought every Jewish person did just because I grew up doing it. And so did the people around me. So there's just mm -hmm. lots of Judaisms. My favorite, my favorite thing about sort of that question of Jewish culture. So my college roommate had one Jewish grandparent. So her grandmother on her dad's side was Jewish. And we were talking one day, and I don't know how this came up. And she was like, you know, that uh, she couldn't think of a word. She was like, you know, the thing you flip things in a skillet with, like, Jamie, you'll know you're Jewish. And I was like, I I'm, I'm sorry, what? And she was like, the thing, what's it called? And I said, a spatula. And she was like, yeah, that's a Yiddish word, right? And I was like, no, no. no. <laughs> and, and it came out that only her grandmother, who was Jewish, cooked. 
And <laughs> she was the only person she had ever heard say the word spatula. So, so she funny. assumed that was a Jewish word. Oh my mm-hmm. God. I love that. <laughs> mm-hmm. Yeah. I, I have to assume that everybody else just called it a pancake turner. Just like I grew up saying that, <laughs> that the remote control is a channel changer. And I had to relearn that we, when I like went out into the world. <laughs> oh, we called it, we called it a clicker in my yeah. Jewish household. Yep. It was a clicker. Who clicker. has the clicker? But also like yeah. somebody said this earlier, but one of the things that's, it's culturally Jewish is just that we're kind of a small group. A lot of us know each other. When you meet a Jewish person who you haven't met before, oftentimes you play oftentimes you play Jewish geography and try and figure out if you have people in common. And oftentimes you do. Mm-hmm. This sounds um, very similar to the queer community. We're we're a lot like Oh that. yeah. I <laughs> also when you have the overlap of the Jewish queer community. Oh, I'm sure. The other like one of my friends I I had met it was like the first time we were meeting and she was like you know that like trans lesbian woman in minneapolis who d- knows yiddish and i was like oh you mean yuval and she was like yeah yuval. <laughs> i love that if you've ever wanted to hear someone roll their eyes on a podcast just listen for my husband's eye roll i feel this way about pittsburgh so <laughs> And then you layer the Pittsburgh Jewish community. It's awesome. Yeah. I would like to also say about uh, important cultural aspects of Judaism. I create and self-publish Jewish children's picture books. So when I am working with an illustrator to illustrate these books, I have to try to figure out ways to communicate in the illustrations that this is a Jewish household. Um, And that has made me very aware of, you know, cultural things. But I'm learning that all of the things that I think of as um, like a visual marker of Judaism tend to be very Ashkenormative. I don't know what the inside of a Sephardic Jewish house looks like. I have a friend, Sarah Arowesti, who is a Sephardic Jew, and she writes books and songs in Ladino, which is Mm -hmm. similar to Yiddish being a mashup of um, like German and Hebrew. Ladino is a mixture of Spanish and uh, Hebrew. It's a Judeo-Spanish language. But she wrote a book called Buen Shabbat, Shabbat Shalom. And in her book, she had to go through and really put in some visual cues that, yes, this is a Jewish home, but it's not what most Americans think of when they think of a Jewish home. So that was a learning experience for me when I saw her book and to hear her specifically call out the things that she had illustrated into her book, um, such as Hamza wall hangings. Uh, Hamza is also called the Hand of Fatima. It wards off, it's like a boards off the evil eye and then different like Moroccan prints and things like that. So I think that it's really difficult to talk about cultural aspects of Judaism just because there are as many cultural aspects as there are Jewish people. Yeah, absolutely. That makes a lot of sense. I'm curious if there's ever been a time that a kid asked you about your religion and how you responded. 
As I have mentioned, I live in a conservative Christian area and I'm raising two little Jewish kids. And no, no one's, uh, a kid has never asked me specifically. However, both of my children have been told on more than one occasion that they're going to hell. Oh, and they've okay. been told by their friends, their classmates, oh, gosh. Uh, people who they've had over for play dates. And after really being frustrated by this several times, I took to Facebook, as I do when I'm <laughs> unhappy, and I posted a public service announcement to my local friends that when one of your kids tells one of my kids they're going to hell, I've asked my kids to respond by saying, you believe what you believe, and I believe what I believe, but I can't be held responsible if my kid actually says... Who told you that? Your pastor? I bet he also told you Santa Claus is real. So maybe your pastor's <laughs> lying. Because that's what my kid told me he wanted to say to your kid. Oh my so God. this is fair warning. <laughs> it's been a struggle. So no, no one, no child has ever asked me directly about my religion. But my kids get, uh, they take a lot of flack, sadly. Mm. That is really sad. I, I feel very lucky very blessed that we don't have that problem here in Greensboro, North Carolina, where I live. Um, and I guess I shouldn't say that as a pat answer for everyone. Um, I have not come across it. We have a very small Jewish community here of about 3,000 people. The metro area is 300,000, so we're about 1%, mm -hmm. but we're very active and vocal. And so the wider community tends to be pretty aware and accepting. And um, my kids haven't run into that that I'm aware of. And it makes me really, really sad that yours have. So I mostly teach Jewish children. So when kids ask me about my religion, they're usually asking you know, to understand something better mm -hmm. about something they're a part of. But I also do, I live in Brooklyn, I live in central Brooklyn. And mm -hmm. so sometimes people who aren't Jewish have a sense of Jewish people as like the Hasidic people they see on the streets, because there's yeah. a significant Hasidic population here. And I wear a kippah, so I'm also visibly Jewish, but I'm not visibly Jewish in the same way as the Hasidic people. And so sometimes this is confusing enough that somebody comes up and asks me about it. Uh, and those people are usually adults, not children. But my answer sort of regardless of age is that because and they come up to me and say, like, are you Jewish? And I say, yes. And they say, why are you wearing a kippah? I thought only men wore, keep, wore kippot. And so that's sort of the type of thing that I get most often from adults or, or children. And, and that's fine, unless I'm like running off somewhere. Like if I'm really in a hurry, I don't totally have time. But I am otherwise happy to particularly from kids to answer questions about that. Um, but mostly, I, I, you know, tell them things that it's related to well, because uh, I am Jewish, and it's an expression of my values. And uh, it's important to me. Um, and that, and if they're like, and I like, why are you wearing it? And I thought only men wore it. Um, I generally don't get into gender with strangers. So, so I don't tend to talk about it, about the part of it that has to do with my own, uh, gender and transness. And instead I say, well, in 
some kinds of Judaism, mostly men wear it, and in other kinds of Judaism, anybody can wear it. Yeah, I feel very, very similarly about trans questions when when I'm asked by strangers. I'm just like, hmm. I, I like I always ask, why is it important to you? <laughs> like, I'm probably never going to see you again. Uh, you know, my Starbucks barista, you do not need to know the depths of my gender. <laughs> <laughs> I'm curious if you've ever, you know, sort of struggled with wanting to share parts of your religion with kids about feeling that that context is inappropriate, like we were talking about maybe in a classroom setting or something like that. And maybe how, you know, how can we share these things in ways that are appropriate, depending on the setting, if that makes any sense. I think that my experience with this is different because I'm coming at it from the perspective of only being a parent and not being an educator. But Mm -hmm. when we my oldest son was in third grade and we had just started our conversion for some ridiculous reason someone convinced me to be the room parent (laughs) and (laughs) so they're like because you need to plan yeah this was years before that though (laughs) no but um they said we need to plan our winter holiday party and this is what we usually do and looking at it winter holidays just code for christmas without a cross you know um there's still the santa and the trees and the angels and snowmen rudolph and all that kind of stuff um so the party that i planned I mean, you you had a little bit of your Santa in there, but we also uh, played dreidel. I think one of the treats I might have done, I don't think I was able to make latkes because if you don't eat them when they're fresh, they taste really awful. But I think I sent (laughs) home like a latke recipe as part of their little um, packets. I don't know anything about Kwanzaa, which everyone thinks is strange because I'm black, but hey, not all black people are the same. I don't celebrate Kwanzaa. (laughs) Um, But I made sure that winter holiday party didn't just mean Christmas light on the Jesus. Mm. And I know that I had probably that flexibility because I wasn't their teacher. Mm. No one said anything about it, which could be, again, because I wasn't an educator, or it could also be that I'm a very scary looking black woman. I am that parent who is never asked to be the room parent um, because I am a short, scary looking white Jewish person. you so are I, lucky because being a room parent <laughs> is awful. <laughs> yeah, no one would let me. No one would let me do that. But um, I, I have been asked, you know, as the parent of the only Jewish kid in school, will you come in and talk about Hanukkah? And one of the things that are so we don't belong to a congregation here, but the Reform Rabbi we are close with, and. Um, One of the things that he has asked all of the Jewish parents to do in this area is if you're asked to come in and talk about Hanukkah, that you say, I'd love to. And here's the dates for Rosh Hashanah, Yom Kippur and Passover. I'll also be coming those days. I think it's really awesome. Let me tell you, it has only worked in one of my children's classrooms once. I get a lot of, oh, that's a bad time of the year for us, or oh, we really only talk about holidays in the winter. Um, but I always say that, right? I always make the request, and then they say, oh, we can't do that. fine. I'll come in for Hanukkah. And I do struggle with that because, honest to God, if I found out that someone was proselytizing about Christianity in one of my kids' classrooms, I would go through the roof. So I sort of self 
I self-regulate what I talk about and how I talk about it. So to mirror what I would hope someone were doing if they were sharing about their holiday. Uh, it's hard, though. A lot of Jewish picture books, again, I think it comes back to that idea of what is culture and what is religion, mm-hmm. right? So I can very easily share food. Um, but when you get into the Hanukkah story, there are parts of the Hanukkah story that I don't necessarily agree with. And it's not really a religious observance in the way that Passover or Yom Kippur is. So mm-hmm. I do struggle with it. And it's really about understanding and self-regulating more than it is that I'm worried someone else is going to be mad at me. Yeah, absolutely. I just want to stay say... I always, 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 and this doesn't come up for me much anymore because now my kids attend a Jewish day school, but whenever I have the chance, I have to say to people, please, 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 Hanukkah is not Jewish Christmas. Like, it does not have the same Mm -hmm. import to Jews that Christmas has to Christians. Because of the way the calendars line up, they fall near each other. I mean, in that same, like Hanukkah might be in November or early December, but, you know, we're in that same kind of time frame since Christmas now starts on like September 30th. But, (laughs) but, you know, they're not equivalent, even though they happen around the same time. I'm about to do an interview with someone from a magazine and they want to interview me about free or low cost ways that parents can celebrate Hanukkah and things with their kids. And I want to just tell them that the really the only requirement is to light some candles and the box of those costs like $3. But obviously (laughs) I'm not going to say that I'm going to, you know, give a good answer and, things like that. But the fact of the matter is there are no requirements for crazy spending for Christmas or Hanukkah, even though mm-hmm. you tend to to see that. Uh, they're just not equivalent. Yeah. I, thank you for th- thank you for saying that because that is unfortunately one of the questions I had to skip for time. So I'm glad you put that in there. <laughs> so basically, I'm just curious. We were talking a little bit about it with a Kipa before. Um, but if a kid notices someone wearing some kind of visual signifier that they're Jewish, of which there are many, um, you know, how can we respond to that? Uh, and if you feel like sharing, what are some of those things and their significance? I wear a kippah, so I do come across this fairly often. I don't wear um, many of the other signifiers, but I have people in my life who do. So there are tzitzit, mm-hmm. which are um, little hanging fringes. They're often all white. Sometimes they're blue and white. And they're a marker of Jewishness, of remembering that you're holy and your body is holy and holding tight to your connection uh, with God throughout the day or remembering to do mitzvot and sticking to your values. Um, there's a line, it's in the Torah, unlike wearing a kippah or many other things. So it's one of those things where if somebody asks about it, there's a lot of ways to frame it. And I, as my simplest answer to, to children often go with, uh, because that's how I'm expressing, you know, my Jewishness and remembering to stick to my values throughout the day. Mm, and that's that. a thing that some Jews do. But also there's a thing called a tichel, which is like a, mm-hmm. a head covering um, that some women wear in particular. And I don't wear one, but I 
have people in my life who do. And I called a couple of them up before the podcast to ask Mm -hmm. how I could best represent uh, what that means and why they wear it. And the two of them wear it for pretty radically different reasons. So one of them, my friend Nora, just got married and started wearing a head covering uh, when she got married. And she expressed that in her community, which is a Orthodox community, everybody in her community wears a head covering when they get, all the women in her community wear a head covering when they get married. And so she was sort of looking forward to it as a rite of passage. Mm. And uh, in our community, it's just standard, like wearing a wedding ring. And and I think that that's a perfectly good explanation for for some people, if that's the line you want to have, is like, that's a way they express it in their community, like how some people wear wedding rings. Mm-hmm. But on the flip side, uh, my girlfriend also wears uh, a head covering. And for her, it's, it, it's differently meaningful that it's about holiness and, uh, and also about privacy. So sometimes people mm. um, talk about like head coverings as modesty, and she prefers to think of it as privacy. So her name is Lulav Arnau, and she uh, was talking about how like it's it means that the people you uncover your hair around are like yourself. Like you you cover your hair, and then the people who see it are you and God, mm. and then the people who are your family or or like have that particular special relationship to you. That's really beautiful. Yeah, isn't it? <laughs> it is. Like the what a way to make the people around you feel special and loved and let them know how much they mean to you. Sorry. I didn't mean to interrupt. I just that's really beautiful. That's what I said when she told me that. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, thank you so much for sharing that. So, I'm just curious if you have any resources about Judaism. Can be for kids, adults. Could be books, shows, websites, toys. I don't know anything you can think of that's a resource. I mean, there's a lot of good stuff out there for kids, but the problem is, I have found that like I'm looking for stuff for the, the student that I'm tutoring, and I have found that I always need to augment things or or make sure that something is, you know, it has the the right sort of. Uh, you know, a more like balanced political perspective because lots of things you'd be going along. Like, this is great. And, like, and then they killed all the Arabs and it was wonderful. Let's kill all the Arabs right now. And then you're just like, no, can't, can't teach that. So, right. So like, yeah, that's a real huge problem. Um, and so I find that there's a bunch of really good stuff out there, but you need to monitor it and regulate it so and and you, you actually have to be knowledgeable yourself it's not just plug and play i mean there's a bunch of good history stuff out there that that you know would be sort of boring but you know you'd have to like sort of spice it up a bit but it's it's i have found that like being a history teacher just handing a textbook off to someone is never a good idea because you you you, you hand it off and then like you have vouched for that and they'll say well it says in here that you know something really offensive and um so you gotta be on on you sort of have to be on board to make sure that the things in there, you you, ha- you can correct any mistakes that are made. And of course, that's going to be based on your own political perspective. And I've run into some problems where I'm like, yeah, actually, I completely disagree with that. And the person is like, oh, no, but this is how I think about it. And then so there's a whole other problem to tackle. Yeah, definitely. We talk about, about that a lot with kids books, too, where like, in one way, I mean, on the one hand, right, 
things should just be represented in ways that are good and we shouldn't have to do the extra work. But on the other hand, like we do have the power to like read something like when I'm reading a kid's book, I was reading, for example, a fairy, like a fairy tales book and I was reading Sleeping Beauty and I got to the end and, you know, I was sort of like pre-reading before I read it out loud. And, and it was, you know, like the prince, you know, kissed her and then she woke up and then they got married the next day. And I was like, absolutely not. And I was like, uh, and then he tapped her on the shoulder and she woke up and uh, then they decided to date for a couple of years. And then they decided marriage was something that, you know what's for them and, and then they got married, you know and it just sort of like made up this whole ending <laughs> and like in, in some ways it's kind of empowering to remember especially with young kids that can't read yet um that we can change those endings and even with kids that are do know that we're changing them we can we can talk about why right so i think that that you know is is kind of a good tool but again we want the good representation to begin with and not have to do that but it's always a good thing to remember and now i want to rewrite sleeping beauty without <laughs> the sexual assault right? aspect that would be nice <laughs> chapter come on time to go <laughs> resources let me give you my rabbi's phone number <laughs> I'm, just kidding. I'm kidding i love my rabbi love 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 my rabbi andy and he will gladly answer my text messages emails and ridiculously <laughs> esoteric questions at seven o'clock in the morning but i think he might actually shun me if I gave his phone number <laughs> out. One of my favorite websites um, to learn things about Judaism in short bites is myjewishlearning.com. I know one of the people who wrote a lot of their first articles, his name is Jeff Spitzer, and he's an amazing scholar. Um, and I think that the articles on my Jewish learning do a pretty good job of presenting a balanced view of Jewish issues and things like that. But yes, also, if you want some books for children, you can check out any book that I have written. <laughs> <laughs> my debut book was Ezra's Big Shabbat Question. It is currently available on my website, www.avivabrown.com. And I have a few other books coming out um, this fall, one called Not Now Mara, which is a tale about a precocious toddler on Shabbat. <laughs> and um, I looked into your eyes, a poem for new Jewish, or excuse me, a poem for new families. And that one is a book about um, welcoming babies and children into our family, mm. whether through birth, fostering or adoption, and the first time that their parents get to see them. It's Aww. gonna be really, really great. Like I wasn't expecting it to turn out as well as it is and I can't wait for everyone to see it. Uh, it's hard to follow that. I just want to put that out there. <laughs> <laughs> but I like Shaboom, which is a cartoon for that teaches Jewish values. I also like the Sammy Spider books because yes. they, so for example, like they're teaching lessons of counting and the characters happen to be Jewish. So it's mm -hmm. one of those things where we don't, you know, we say with young adult lit, it doesn't all have to be Holocaust lit, right? Like we can see Jewish mm -hmm. people having fun. So I like Sammy Spider because everyone needs to learn their shapes and everyone needs to learn their counting. And these people learning them happen to be Jewish. And then I want to plug something that I'm doing starting tonight, which is our, um, our community, our local interfaith council 
arranges tours in the before times to actual religious observance um, by people of many different backgrounds in our community. And so tonight starts the Zoom interfaith celebration. And so tonight the Reform Shul is, everyone will tune in and watch the services and then there will be a Zoom chat just for the people on this tour who've signed up for the tour. And then we go to, I think, a Presbyterian church next. And so I, mm-hmm. I, like Sam said, it's very hard to find a resource without context because you don't know where it's coming from. So I would mm-hmm. encourage parents who are interested in this kind of learning to see if their community does something similar where you as adults and on our interfaith tour, kids are encouraged to come also where you can learn as a family about lots of different religions. I will never forget the time my daughter's first grade teacher showed a video about, can't remember if it was Hanukkah or Passover. And as she sent it to me, it was like a cartoon and she sent it to me to vet. And there was just something about the language. It was messianic. It was messianic. It was, and so it's like there are these resources out there that to an untrained eye will look Jewish, mm. but there would, the language was just rubbing me the wrong way. So I dug into the website where she found it and I was like, nope, not okay. Thanks. I'll send you something. Yes, we should also mention, because I don't know that we've actually used the term messianic before, but messianic quote Jews um, would be your Jews for Jesus and again that's past that line that actual Jews consider makes a person Jewish. As I mentioned I work at a progressive Christian seminary and there is a a divide here that I I had never heard before that some Christians don't consider Catholics Christian and some Christians don't consider Mormons Christian. This was all news to me. And uh, I got a hold of a syllabus once. Part of my role is to vet our syllabi to make sure they meet our standards in which someone was teaching Messianic Judaism under Judaism. So like they were going through multi, you know, you know, multi-faith celebrations. And I went to my dean and I said, I'm, this is not my role here, but I am uncomfortable with, with this. And he mm. said, well, one of the things that we're really strong about is that if someone considers themselves a Christian, we consider them a Christian. And I said, let me send you an article. And in fact, if you want to be a chaplain in the U.S. Armed Services and you identify as a Messianic or a Jew for Jesus, you have to get approved by the Christian body that approves you. So basically chaplains wear little pins to designate who mm-hmm. they like who they are and the messianic Jews and the Jews for Jesus according to US military policy, not that we're going to take their word for everything, uh, but because they back me on this one, I'm taking it. <laughs> um, they will not allow Jews for Jesus or uh, messianic Jews to wear a star of David lapel pin. And so I took that back to my boss and said, I think we need to move the syllabus around. And he agreed. Well, and also, um, obviously, you this is in the past and you won the good fight. But I'm <laughs> glad that if you consider yourself a Christian, you are a Christian. That's not how it works in Judaism. Sorry. Yeah. <laughs> We're a communal undertaking. Like, it, it, Judaism, Judaism isn't an individual thing. It's a communal thing. 
And so it matters what the community does. Just to throw in some additional resources, uh, I also like my Jewish learning, though I want to be clear that that's for adults. If you're talking about children, Seth, I believe you've plugged the children's book group Flamingo Rampant before, and they have a couple Jewish books. Anybody can watch, I know it's like old at this point, but anybody can watch the Rugrats Passover episode, which- (laughs) Oh, I forgot to mention Shalom Sesame. There's also Bim Bam, which is this like, it's not perfect either, but it does like do these little videos that are about- What is is that one called? Bim Bam. That's where Shaboom lives. Shaboom is a a program of Bim Bam. Yeah. And they have some things, many of them for children, a couple of them for adults um, that have these like little animated videos about different Jewish things. They don't always 100% line up with me, but like they're pretty good as a starting point. Um, Similarly with PJ Library, which will give you Mm -hmm. a lot of different Jewish Uh, children's books. Uh, And I'll also throw in there that as kids get older there's like a thriving industry of like middle grade books for that are about like jewish children preparing for b'nai mitzvah one that uh, and and you can look through those for different kinds of diverse jewish experiences as well if you're intentional about it so like two of my favorite like middle grade uh jewish books um one of them i have on my shelf right here it's called uh, Magical Princess Harriet, Chesed, World of Compassion by uh, Rabbi Leah Mosier. And it's about a, a Jewish trans girl saving the world with the power of Kabbalah. And it's very cute. Um, another book that I haven't read since I was about like 12 or 13, but there was a, a book called My Basmati Bat Mitzvah, which is... Uh, about a girl who gets her Jewish heritage from one side of her family and her Indian heritage from another side of her family and is like trying to figure out how to be herself in a world that is like sometimes confused by her that I really enjoyed when I was a kid and I think that people could read now. So Yeah, and for teens, the first book authored by a Jew of color for teens about a teen Jew of color is called Color Me In, and it came out a year ago. Oh, right, amazing. and that's by Natasha Diaz? Yes. yes. Yeah. Shalom Sesame is a little bit too Zionist for me. We haven't even touched on Israel, Seth. Do you have another six hours? Do you have another <laughs> <laughs> you have. Oh my gosh. Well, I, uh, I'm actually supposed to go clean someone's house at seven, so I don't know that we have okay. that much time for that segment. <laughs> Maybe next well, time. Be sh- yeah, be sure to invite us all back around this time next year so that we can expound on Israeli-Palestinian relations and the United States. And Muppets. Um, BDS. So before, before we go, I, I know some of you touched on this a little bit, but are there any either things, projects, or work that you do that you want to plug? And we can combine that with where can people find you on the internet if you want to be found? I have my own, you know, it's like everybody has a podcast these days, but I have my own. It's called What We Will Abide. I've been doing it for about four years, and uh, it's basically about um, people providing local solutions to systemic problems, mm. which is a kind of euphemistic way of saying, it's me saying, hey, civilization's collapsing. Don't you realize civilization's collapsing? What are we doing about it? Nothing. Can you please do something about this? If not, 
what's the point? And I found that there are people who were like, hey, uh, I also agree with you that civilization is collapsing. Um, perhaps we should do something about food insecurity and perhaps we should do something about other political issues and racism and, and other things that we should address. And so um, I talked to a lot of different people about um, their approaches towards taking one small thing that's wrong with the world because as you know there's thousands of them and and just and, and being active about it and doing something about it whatever it might be mm. so that's that's one place um i also completely unrelated <laughs> completely and totally unrelated to anything that we've talked about at all run a comic book store <laughs> oh so, cool yeah so we're riverbend comic awesome. yeah we're riverbendcomics.com um and i'll that's it <laughs> Aviva Brown. I write books and you can find me and my books on my website, www.avivabrown.com. And you can find me on Instagram and Facebook at at symbol Aviva Brown dot author. And I specifically write children's books about Jewish kids um, and families of color, because if I could break down one stereotype about Judaism, it would be that all Jews are white. Um, mm -hmm. In America, we tend to have that view, um, not so much in other countries because you have more Jewish diversity, but even here in the States, 10% um, of Jewish people identify as people of color and we we are not represented in 10% of what you see in Jewish media. So mm -hmm. that's my plug for my work and my mission. And <laughs> come see me, please. So I am Jamie Beth Cohen. I My novel, Wasted Pretty, is a young adult book about a Jewish teen dealing with the after effects of a sexual assault while simultaneously falling in love for the first time, all under the umbrella of her family's finances crumbling. So if there's one stereotype about Judaism I'd like to break down, it's that we're all rich because hmm. uh, we're not. And I was on financial aid as a kid and I ran a financial aid program at a Jewish high school. And uh, that is one that really gets me, although there are lots that get me. So uh, my website is jamiebethcohen.com. You can find links to my essays and my live storytelling there. I'm on Twitter at Jamie underscore Beth underscore S and Jamie is spelled J-A-M-I-E. And on Instagram, I'm at Wasted Pretty, which is the title of the novel. And that account is really just for book-related stuff. My name is Jazz Tversky. Uh, I run a podcast called Kosher Queers, talking about the weekly Torah portion. Every week, many Jews read a specific portion of the Torah. And so we talk about that. Uh, kind of irreverently, um, with some humor, but also with some scholarship about uh, how we're feeling about this week's reading. And I say we because I co-host it. So if you liked Lulav's uh, comment earlier about what wearing a tichel meant in terms of privacy, I co-host it with her. And you can follow that podcast on Twitter at Kosher Queers. It's also on Facebook at Kosher Queers. You can listen to it at kosherqueers.buzzsprout.com 
or find us on patreon.com slash kosherqueers, um, which will link to the episodes. And you can follow me on Twitter at wordnerdmitter. Those projects are important to me because I also think that there's many ways to be Jewish. There's never just one way to be anything. And it is important that we hear different types of takes on things. I'm interested in the podcast Unkosher Queers. Can you put that one together? I'd like to know <laughs> all about that. Fair enough. I will say that neither of us keep what my Orthodox relatives would consider strictly kosher. I, I, I think that even within the term kosher, you know, that gets to mean what we want it to mean. There's room. Okay, that's cool. <laughs> I'm also starting a podcast. Oh, God. <laughs> <laughs> It's called There's a Column for That, and it's about people who love spreadsheets. (laughs) We all have that friend, right? That friend where you're like, oh, my God, spreadsheets, you have to talk to Jamie. I'm that friend, and I want to talk to all your friends like that. That friend is me, and I'm excited. You're invited. We're setting it up. I'll show you my my spreadsheet. I'll show you my spreadsheet for the podcast. (laughs) Yay! Yay! Uh, Who's doing your producing, Jamie? Uh, Sam Schindler, my husband, is kindly doing my producing. <laughs> I think you all yep. would be surprised by just how many subscribers you get to your spreadsheet podcast. I'm very excited. I'm going to make a spreadsheet about my subscribers. and But my yeah. husband can't edit my podcast until he edits our daughter's podcast. Where oh, my she God. Interviews people about the word passion, what they think it means, and what their passion is. She interviewed me that. yesterday. She's so a much. great interviewer. She was, it was really intense. <laughs> she was really intense. It was the best conversation we've had. She is passionate about talking. I co-sign that. What? I feel that. Me too. That's literally why I started a podcast. My wife was like, stop talking about this stuff to me. Talk about it to someone else. And I was like, fine. I'll talk about it to everyone. (laughs) And on that note, um, I'm going to thank y'all for being here. It's been such a pleasure. I feel like we could probably talk for like three more hours. Yeah, it's been wonderful. And remember, stay rad. I'm Tom Zalatni, executive producer of the Upford Network and host and producer of Up for Discussion, a podcast about great food and the people who love to make and eat it. But wait, isn't Up for Discussion a comedy podcast? It sure was, but things change. It's a food show now, and it's a very, very good food show. Every week, I dig into a different ingredient, dish, meal, or cuisine with help from friends and guest experts who know way more about this stuff than I do. Do you like food? Of course you do. You're a person. So you will like this show. Go listen to it wherever you get your podcasts. Up for discussion. It's a food podcast now. Brought to you by the Upford Network. Hey there, campers. My name is Emmett, and I'm the host of Gaze in the Woods, a podcast that explores rural LGBTQIA2 plus experiences, from radical fairies and lesbian farmers to backwoods slam poets and community organizers organizing communities the community didn't know where they were all along. Can you have a pride parade when you're the only gay in the village? What is camp when you live in a trailer? And if a genderqueer bear shares their pronouns in the forest and nobody gets it, is anything real? I don't know, but let's find out together on Gays in the Woods, an Upford Network podcast.